Hello and welcome to Better Words. Michelle was just like, oh, we're just talking anyway. I'm going to press record. And I was like, I better do the intro. So <laughs> I wanted in, case, like in case, because I didn't just say that Michelle told me to <laughs> not do this or whatever. I'm Caitlin. I blog at Justin Bookish Babe and I'm Michelle <laughs> and I blog at the Unfinished Bookshelf. Anyway, so what has literally just happened is that I got here to Michelle's house to start recording this episode and we just started talking about what we'd been reading and watching and everything before and I was like no stop we're supposed to be talking about this on air we as like they to say save it for this podcast <laughs> yeah mm. yeah I literally just had to say to her oh no wait I can't say anymore I can't say anymore <laughs> so first thing because I kind of half started telling them but I'll start again first thing I want to talk about is that my younger brother has got me completely hooked on Brooklyn Nine-Nine it is I haven't watched like a new sort of like actual like TV sitcom comedy show like that in a while I guess I mean seen Friends seen Big Bang Theory seen How I Met Your Mother you know all those ones but I haven't started a new one in a really long time and it's so good and it's just so funny and I'm so glad it's on Netflix (laughs) (laughs) I really need to watch especially since it's on Netflix um I've heard like my boyfriend loves it and he tried to get me to start watching it when we started going out but it was in that phase where we were still like super super chatty not that we're not anymore but it was we were yeah, trying to watch can't it. do anything else yeah you're just talking and then and then we'd just start talking and then I'd be like oh damn I've missed like this whole episode so I need yeah. to go right back to the start and watch it too and yeah. I need something fun right now yeah it's so much fun and you know what I mean, this is not a spoiler because it's a, it's a sitcom. I'm just going to talk about it. Is that the thing I have, especially when I watch shows like this. I was the same when I started watching Arrow. I knew that Oliver and Felicity were going to get together eventually. So I just wanted to keep watching until they got together because I just wanted to see them together. And that's exactly what's happened with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And it probably means that I've watched it a bit quickly. But it's so funny. So, so funny. Oh, speaking of funny, the other thing I was going to mm. say I actually finished watching was the third season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable! Unbreakable. I don't know the don't words know the, except for that. Except for like, <laughs> damn it. It's a miracle. Unbreakable. Something, something. Females are strong as hell. <laughs> okay, that's all we've got. That was like our worst theme song singing ever. So this is like, okay, I didn't do any research. Surprise. But Tina Fey writes this or she just produce it pretty sure it's both she's so it's, great it's like with it's with like someone else like she co-writes it and co-produces mm. it with someone else and i don't know who that is although if we checked i probably would mm. but yeah tina fey and then she does her cameos like as the yeah, lawyer so and then as the drunk therapist so um, funny also i mean you haven't watched mad men don't know why not you're in marketing Caitlin you need to watch it yeah. but John Hamm as the crazy cult yes, leader yes he's actually he's so brilliant. good he's so brilliant yeah but yeah you need to watch Mad Men Caitlin and start a petition okay and start a hashtag I don't All know right. what it would be <laughs> mad Caitlin hashtag so, mad Caitlin so I don't is know. season three as good as the other seasons I think so. It's just very funny. Okay, so this is actually also a show that my brother watches. So we were watching it together at home and it was obviously on a weekend because like I wasn't at work. Anyway, so my dad was at home and we must have been watching it or something and dad came in and he was just like eating his lunch or whatever we'd already eaten. And for those of you who have not watched Kimmy Schmidt, it is incredibly weird and random but hilarious so then what happened is my dad's like sitting down eating his lunch and he's just like what are you watching like because if you don't know what it is I didn't even know how to explain it to him well Kimmy is in a cult um for like what like 20 years or whatever since she snatched as a teenager and in the 80s I'm guessing yeah and then the the series starts with her being released and then she just decides she's gonna move to New York obviously the world's moved on a bit and she's still like in that preteen like yeah mindset. she doesn't know how she's to like cope in year society old but she's I mean so that's funny. Kimmy but like how yeah. do you explain you know Titus and Jacqueline and Lillian and I like I everyone I else everybody. who is in this show it's so bizarre <gasps> I love it's them so funny I love them all this so it's so good. clever because like I don't even 
like I said, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't even really know what is going on. But I mean, it's so funny. I really, really need to watch some fun stuff. And I need to watch season three of that yeah. show. It's so, so good. So funny. Like, if you oh, haven't watched wow. it, you are really missing out. And I didn't realise... I think that was probably one of the first shows I started watching on Netflix when I got yeah, my like Netflix. Yeah, like the first Netflix original. Because I think me too. I had... But, like, I'd heard about it because it took me so long to get Netflix. Yeah, it um, kind of did. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't have the MBN. Oh, whatever. Let's not, let's not talk about, like, <laughs> the internet or whatever. Like... Whatever. What have you actually been watching? I've talked about my well, current face. I thought we could talk about something that we did together. Hmm. Jog my memory. I'm just <laughs> kidding. We went and saw Dracula at the local theatre here. It was like a national tour of the company Shake and Stir, which we'll reference because they were They awesome. were amazing. It was insanely good. Like, insanely good. Um. So, I went and... I got free tickets to this because um, we did some stories on them at work, which was very, very nice to get some um, comp tickets. But I had seen them before when they came to Rocky to perform 1984 by George Orwell, um, I think like two or three years ago. So yeah, I knew probably. that they were really good and I wanted to see them do Wuthering Heights. Must be the one in between. I think that was. I think Wuthering Heights was last year's yeah. tour. Um, but I just didn't, I don't know, it didn't line up or something. So we got these tickets to Dracula and I dragged Caitlin along and it was so creepy. It was so creepy, but it was so good. Um, one thing I have to talk about from this show was actually what they had for the set because, um, (gasps) Dracula is set in so many different locations. They had a rotating stage. So like part of the stage was on this huge it was on this huge platform and there was like you know a circle or whatever and it had this staircase and like balcony and when it turned around like under the staircase was like it was like rooms and it, it would be like but it was where also the, yeah. the carriage yeah. as well it was so clever um, or the train and the other thing that was okay so i haven't read many classics and i certainly haven't read dracula and I don't really know much about Dracula except, you know, all the like, ooh, I want to suck your blood. Like, yeah, I literally stuff. know nothing about Dracula except for all of the extensions and everything. I've never, I didn't know anything about the original story. What I knew about Dracula before seeing this was he's a vampire, Transylvania, I don't know, fangs, a cape. Yeah. I, that's it. That's, that's got nothing it. else. Um, what surprised <clears throat> me, I like, and I'd heard the the name Van Helsing. Obviously, I've heard it, but like those sorts of movies aren't yeah, really I my thing. Yeah, I had no idea that that was part. But of it. I, yeah, I had no I idea. So it's uneducated. Like an thing. God, how embarrassing would it be if it's not, and they just add that in? Like, no, I'm pretty sure that's okay. not what happened. I'm we, pretty sure it was. The we probably right, should yeah. have done some research before we recorded probably. this. <laughs> Whoops, but it was amazing. Sorry, classics fans. I promise. I've read like Shakespeare and stuff. Just didn't. I'm not Dracula. No. I've read Pride and Prejudice, which of course is not Shakespeare. I just not realized it. that that made it might have sounded weird. I don't know who wrote Dracula. I Brian can't remember. Stoker. Okay, good job, Michelle. I read but, the program. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so the smart. the actors were amazing. The only thing that was a little bit comical. Um, and this is only because we're massive Harry Potter nerds, not any reflection on Shake and Stir, because they were amazing. But the first thing I saw, thought when I saw Dracula, I just turned to Caitlin in our seat and was like, oh my God, he looks like Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, because so what um, this company had actually done with their interpretation of Dracula is all the other characters were, you know, dressed appropriate for like the time period and everything. But their Dracula actually had like this really cool like cape or whatever but he wore like a leather jacket and like you know sort of looked a bit more modern and had platinum blonde hair and when it was longer we were like hmm Lucius Malfoy and then in, <laughs> he's so menacing too yeah and then in I was almost gonna say it in the second act but I like guess in the no second half of the intuition. show anyway in the second half of the show it was a bit shorter um, because it was like a, t- it was a tiny bit of a time jump, I think. Mm. Anyway, because they, they had traveled, he had traveled to London from yeah. Transylvania. So when he came back and he had short hair, because we'd made, already made the Lucy Malfoy joke, I turned to Michelle and I was like, Drake, Dracula got a haircut, a la Draco. <laughs> it wasn't so, really like a swoop, Draco. It was just no, shorter, it was much better than Draco's haircut. It was oh yeah, quite so good. much better. But everyone was amazing. Um, Dracula especially, very spooky. Um, so amazing. The just like I got chills 
I didn't, I mean, I knew it was going to be dark, but it was actually I really, really had no scary. Idea. I mean, I guess Dracula obviously is like a scary gothic story, but yeah. I pretty much had no idea but what I, we were going into. I didn't expect to feel that way seeing them on stage because I, I always think, oh, it's not going to be the same as being in a movie theater or whatever, but it was way better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because no, they're no. right there and there's all the smoke and light and everything. Although, actually, this was the other thing. It was so, so smoky. Point, so much smoke. And um, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, we've both like done shows before and are involved with the theatre. And there was one point where they had all this smoke and one of the female characters was like sick and she sat up out of the smoke like coughing and they were like oh no she's choking and I was like well no shit there's like heaps of smoke around her because those smoke machines smell awful and they really do like make you choke and but it turns out she bad. was just playing the part of turning into a vampire I mean yeah really cool actually it was really was, good but I'm sure really the smoke awesome had something to do with it was the way that um they did like the killing and the blood scenes yeah they were really cool so cool really really good um just really great like Caitlin said on the night, and I totally agree that Gothic literature and Gothic stories make really great plays and stuff. And oh, they, they really do. So do. They so um, do. So now I'm really disappointed that I didn't see them do Wuthering Heights because I think that, that would have been, been really so cool. good. So if Shake and Stir comes to you, they do lots of regional tours in. I don't know if they go outside Queensland. Yeah, they do. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, Shake and Stir, go and see anything by them. Um, they always choose incredible and they were saying like they had a little Q&A after the show um, in which Caitlin and I were surrounded by all these screaming teenagers who'd had a workshop with one of the guys before so they were just screaming which like yeah he was hot but like they were ridiculous. They, they just we kept are screaming. Like, and we are like, middle-aged women now. We're like, oh. We are not middle-aged. <laughs> no, just the way we were acting. We're like, oh, teenagers. Ugh. Oh, my God. They and were horrible. To give horrible. some perspective, they were probably like 15 and 16 and we're 21 and 22. So yeah. yeah. Barely it's, any difference. No, just we wouldn't have acted like idiots anyway. I like to think not. No. Uh, well, I would have been so, I wouldn't have gone to a workshop because I would have been too embarrassed. I totally would have. <laughs> Um, so lucky things have changed. But anyway, they were doing a Q&A after and they said they always choose things to adapt like 1984, Animal Farm, both by Orwell and um, Wuthering Heights. They choose things that are their favourite books. So they And it's kind of obvious they put a lot into their adaptations. And it's such a small what There were like six people. Yeah, six people in the cast. Yeah, and they do an incredible job really but oh, yeah that amazing. set was amazing and what was even more amazing is that we found out they had to bump out of the theater so for non-theater people that means like remove everything from the stage and all that they had to bump out the same night so i mean well caitlin you you give a comparison because you did wicked you were on the stage crew for our local production of wicked yeah and the set was not nearly as intense and it took them days i mean i'm sure they probably have a bit of a bigger crew and i know that they had local crew there for that show as well but the set for this show was just ridiculously insane and as soon as they said that they had to bump out like that night and they had to get off the stage like q a over i gasped i was like are you kidding me because it was probably about 10 o'clock by this stage yeah i couldn't believe it but yeah and they were probably traveling to the next place straight away if you think that you know sets and all these lights and everything like that takes a while to get down imagine it all being on a freaking rotating stage and like huge buildings and like the the whole stage was covered in set i couldn't i can't imagine it yeah it was it was incredible (laughs) sorry if you're like not into theater and have no idea what i'm talking about but i'm just really freaking out (laughs) it it was really amazing and i definitely want to see more by them I'm really grateful they do such re- good regional tours too because we yeah. already talked about, you know, getting things into the regions. This is great. Yeah, So exactly. I was really, really amazed. So, yes, we love Shake and Stir now. Yeah. <laughs> um, sort of speaking of how you just mentioned, obviously, um, you know, things we've mentioned in past episodes, I have now finished the Love Oswaye anthology. Woo! Woo! So have so I, good. actually. Oh, good. Do you want to do, like, a quick – what was your top story? so hard to choose um oh jesus i really don't know <laughs> i okay, what's your favorite okay so after much deliberation i have a lot of top stories but i think my absolute favorite was jacqueline moriarty's competition entry number. that was so good i can't remember the number off the top of my head 300 and something but yeah. i don't remember sorry the last sorry. the last book uh, sorry the last story in the book 
was amazing. It was so good. It was so it was so funny. Have you read any other stuff by Jacqueline? I haven't, but I want to now. Um, which is something I found with a lot of these authors. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. going to lend you because I have it out there with your other books that I have to give you back. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to lend you um, Finding Cassie Crazy and Feeling Sorry for Celia, which are Jacqueline's um, other contemporary novels. And they are so, so good. They're very similar to that story entry in that they're just really light and funny and lovely. Yeah. And I just love the ending of that too. It was so cute. It was so cute. Um, I also really loved Gab Toza's story, yeah. which... So I, did I, but I, I knew think, I was going to. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've, we love Gab Toza's really, stuff. And, yeah, we love yeah. Gab Toza over here. If you haven't listened to our interview with her, go now. Yeah. I mean, after no, this one. Yeah, listen to this one first. Um, but... That I think, oh God, I'm, I should have looked up these names, but this is kind of improvised. So I think that was called The View From Over Here. Was that? Yeah. Hang on. I'm going to get the book. I'm going to get the book. <laughs> I'm sorry. While she's, gone to, while she's gone to get the book, um, I really enjoyed the competition entry one as well. I think one of my other favorites, it was the first story, but um, Amy Kaufman's, I forget what it was called, but the... Um, it is, it's The Feeling From Over Here. Oh, okay. So Gab Toza's story is called The Feeling From Over Here. Michelle, tell me what Amy Kaufman's was called. One small step. One small step. It was about um, the first Martian. I think we talked about it in, our previ- in a previous episode, but it was so cute. Like the social media aspect of, you know, following people on other planets. I found it so fascinating. You know, the other one I loved, which I don't know what you thought of it because you haven't read this series, but um, the story by our, spoiler alert, very special guest today, Ellie Marnie, called Missing Persons. It was like the introduction between Rachel and Mycroft, who were the main characters in her Sherlock Holmes-inspired series, Every... Like, did you I like that? I didn't know that. Yeah, did I you like the know. story? I did. I had no idea that had anything to do with anything else she'd written because, I mean, these short stories are pretty much all, you know, separate or whatever. But, yeah, well, um, I mean, I guess you wouldn't know unless, like, I'd yeah. seen her, like, talk about the fact that it was. And obviously, okay. as soon as I started reading it and it was Rachel and Mycroft, I was like, oh, yeah. So cute. It okay. was very cute. It was very cute. I really liked that story. I appreciated it. And we're know, not just saying that because she's our guest No, today. of course not, Ellie. <laughs> but no, I did really enjoy that story with the, um, you know, how she moved from a big city and had no idea what she was doing. I was like, I mean, we live in a city, but if I had to move to Melbourne, I had no idea what I was doing either. Yeah, we still if live I had to pretty move. regional. And I mean, that's the, what we talked about with, with Anna. Anna Daniels, yeah. yeah, was living regional. So, and I think I at the very end mentioned that every series like Ellie writes really good regional Probably. stories we're completely losing track of what we've been talking oh about God. in other episodes <laughs> sorry guys but since we've already mentioned that Ellie is our very special guest today um we will be with her in just a moment please note Ellie lives in regional Victoria so the line was a little bit choppy uh so we apologize in advance if there are some sections that are hard to hear our guest today was one of the instigators of the ever-growing hashtag LoveOzYA movement with her phenomenal Sherlock Holmes-inspired debut, which was one of the only Aussie young adult novels on the list of most borrowed books from our libraries. Born in Brisbane, we love a fellow Queenslander on our podcast. Our guest has lived in Indonesia, Singapore and India before settling in rural Victoria. Her debut, Every Breath, was shortlisted for several major awards and she has just self-published the spin-off no limits. Welcome to Better Words, Ellie Marnie. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, thank you pleasure. so much for finally joining us. I feel like your name was one of the first that we really came up with. And I mean, oh. we haven't really had that many episodes yet, but we still took We've we're, we're been took, planning a long well, list of people. Yeah. <laughs> a long well, list feel, of people. I feel honoured. <laughs> um, so tell us all about No Limits because it's just come out. Um, so No Limits is coming out on Monday, August the 14th, and it reads as standalone, but it basically starts directly after the event of Every Move, which is the final book in the Every series, and it focuses on Rachel Watson's brother's country mate, Harris Derwent, who is, um, he's kind of a guy from the wrong side of the tracks, uh, who's he has a chance for redemption when he teams up with the local police sergeant's daughter, Amy Blunt, to defeat a rural drug cartel. That's um, that's pretty topical, I guess, with um, a lot of the drug issues that have been identified in regional areas. Yeah, I think 
Um, you know, it's it's a topic that's kind of local to me. I mean, there's been a lot of reports done or in the news and, you know, the ABC's done reports on ice in rural Australian towns and things like that. So, yeah, it's an yeah. issue. And, um, it's a really big issue, unfortunately. Yeah, it really is. It's affecting a lot of people. It's affecting a lot of families and communities. So I thought this is something that is really particular to... Um, rural Australia right now, so um, it's really relevant. Um, but it's also really important to kind of, it was really important to kind of throw Harris into a situation that he was going to have trouble getting himself out of. So, mm. Yeah, and um, drug drug groups are a pretty hard situation to get out of. Yeah. Like that's, um, yeah, that's yeah. pretty tricky. I'm really it's looking just- forward to seeing... How it all unfolds. I've just got to save it for when my uni assignment is finished. <laughs> when does your uni assignment finish? Um, hopefully this, like, um, in in about a week. So um, <laughs> you've got a whole week to wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> <just> no. Too... <laughs> but I will. I'm sure I will devour it pretty quickly. Um, you meant because you mentioned um, in some blog posts that your writing processes for No Limits and the Every series were pretty different. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Oh yeah, they're really different to write. Um, well, for for a start, this is the first book I've ever written with um, a male first person point of view. So that was a completely different experience. Uh, on some levels, I found it really easy, though, because Harrison's dialogue and his whole personality seemed to just kind of emerge fully formed. He was he was a really, um, I don't know, he was kind of already there, you know, um, mm. when, when I first started writing. And I'd already had some experience writing him in the final book of every series. So, yeah. making so it's it like you already to, knew him. Yeah, into, into kind of writing down his thoughts and getting into his head directly, that wasn't such a massive jump. But um, this is also the first book I've written, which is a dual POV. So, um, you know, they take alternating chapters. It's one's from Harris's perspective and one's from Amy's perspective. So um, I had to think pretty hard about how to construct the story when, uh, you know, at, at some of the most crucial moments would cut out of Harris's perspective and jump into Amy's head. So I had to figure out how to bring those two stories, to, how to start weaving them together effectively. Yeah. And mm. also how to make them different. Because I find that a lot when I, especially when you're at the beginning of a book that has different points of view, I get so confused as to who's who sometimes. Like especially because oh, yeah. when they're telling the same stories, so making them different, um, yeah, I imagine really would be so difficult. You have to really differentiate the voices, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I imagine that must and be so hard to write. <laughs> it's, it, it wasn't. I mean, you just have to conceive of them as really different people, yeah. and they are. You know, I mean, apart from the fact that they're different genders, they just have really different perspectives on the world because they were brought up in such different ways. Um, you know, Harris comes from a really um, hard, tough background, you know, and um, has had experiences domestic abuse and, um, you know, his father's a violent alcoholic, so it was, it was a, he had a very different view of the world compared to Amy, who's grown up, you know, she's had some, she's had suffered through some um, setbacks in her life, some, some difficult personal experiences, but she's basically grown up in a loving environment, so, and Harris hasn't had that, so his perspective and his whole voice is very different. Yeah. And um, very different to Amy's. Do you actually write, uh, did you write them one after the other or did you write like all Harris and then all Amy or like, yeah, do you, do you alternate as you write? Um, yeah, I think I started with just writing one voice and then um, after I'd written a couple of chapters, I sort of realised that if I was going to swap back and forth, um, I, I needed to actually sit down and kind of, figure out who was going to tell which part of the story. So I actually um, had to 
have a little, uh, there's a bit more planning involved in this one. I, I'm, I'm always saying to people that I'm not a plotter, that I'm a panther. <laughs> you know, like, seat of your pants writer. But I had to be a little bit more tactical with this book and I've had to be with the every series for sure. Yeah. Um, so another big challenge I guess you took on in, in doing um, No Limits was that you decided to self-publish it as well. Can you yeah, tell yes. us about that? Um, well, what do you want to know? <laughs> um, Where do you even start with that? Yeah, how, no, do you, how do you self-publish a book? Yeah. How do you self-publish a book? Um, the first step, well, first of all, you have to write a good book. <laughs> uh, you have to write a book. Oh, yeah. Step one, really write the book. In. Got it. <laughs> experience with um, your publisher Alan and Unwin or was it kind of like would it make a difference if someone had never had that experience before? I think it actually helped heaps because Mm. um, you know one of the things about self-publishing that I found is that you really have to have a bit of an understanding of how a book is put together behind the scenes and you know how editing works, how copy editing works, how a book is proofread, and and so you can actually make those things happen for yourself, you know, if you're outsourcing professionals to do this for you, which mm. I did, then you need to have an idea of what the process will be, step-by-step process will be of bringing a book to publication, and so having had some experience, I think that's a huge advantage, and also I had an existing platform, you know, mm. I, I mean, I've, I've been on social media for a while now with series and um, I've gotten to know a lot of people and I've made a lot of friends within the community and, and within the fan base and that, the readership, the YA readership. So, you know, I already had a lot of support. So that was really crucial, I think, for me. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that to put off people who want to give it a try and, you know, haven't, haven't done any publishing before for the first time, but I have to say, if you've done it once, if you've been traditionally published once, then you'll have at least some insight into the way to bring your book to publication mm. yourself. Yeah, so it's not just a matter of writing your book and being like, hey, I'm going to release it. You've you've still gone through a lot of the editing <laughs> steps and stuff that are involved um, in traditional publishing. Oh, absolutely. You have to go through all of those steps as well. You, you can't 
can't skimp on that stuff either. I mean, and you have to get professional services, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to get a professional cover designer and, yeah, all those things that, you know, make a really good quality book. You you try to um, adhere to as much of that as you possibly can um, when you're putting it out yourself as well. Yeah. Um, actually, that's what I noticed about the cover too. It, it matches pretty well with your every series, um, which is cool because it's a standalone and that it's a spin-off. Yeah. So it kind of fits in nicely. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I wanted to go for a similar sort of. I didn't want it to look the same, but um, I wanted the, I wanted the feeling of well, this is tangentially related to, to yeah. the series. Mm. So, and and I think the cover designer did a fantastic job. Yeah, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you've mentioned before, like, how important it is. It's, do you think that's probably the, the thing that if, if you're going to splurge on something, getting a really good cover is, is the thing to do it on? I think I think absolutely that if you don't have a good cover, I think that could really affect sales. And I think, you know, um, I, I think every book buyer looks at, at the front cover of a book. You know, yeah. when... And, certainly do. And, yeah, people do judge books by their covers. <laughs> yeah. just the way it is. You know, we're not supposed to, but everyone does. There's so a reason yeah. that stereotype exists. Yeah. <laughs> there is a reason, most definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that was one of my larger expenses, the cost of a cover design, and um, it's definitely worth it because your book is out there with um, the millions of other books on ebook platforms and print-on-demand platforms and you want something that's going to look distinctive and eye-catching and also that expresses the kind of book that you've written. So yeah, the story. You, you want to be very particular about, about, yeah, that's right, about how you present your story to the world. And you want it to look good. You know, you want to be yeah. able to go mm. to festivals or you want to be able to go to events and hold up your book and say, hey, you know, and, and wave it around. <laughs> You've got, pr- you got to feel proud of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what do you, what for you? What was the most challenging aspect of self publishing? Just that it's an awful lot of work. I mean, mm. I thought that I was working pretty hard before. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, for the every series that was in, that was a lot of work, and it was a lot of work in a pretty short space of time. I mean, I had nine month windows between each book release for the every series yeah they came out phenomenally fast (laughs) I know I know and um and I sort of thought oh yeah wow I'm I'm really caning it you know (laughs) (laughs) writing these books and getting them edited and to print everything nine months um and then I and then I turned around and started self-publishing so I mean I've got I've got um another book coming out with Alan and Unwin in March so I've been in the process of editing and copy editing that book and I've been preparing No Limits for self-publication. And I've been working my other day jobs, because I have more than one day job. <laughs> and also attending festivals and events and going to schools and, and things like that. And also, you know, um, parenting my children. Yeah. <laughs> driving them to school and doing all the things that you do, you know, when you're householding and, and all that sort of stuff, so it's all going to happen. I mean, I've been getting up at, yeah, ridiculous hours of the morning <laughs> to get work done and then going to bed after midnight every night. So I feel like wow. um, this is the hardest slog that I've had for some time now. And I'm really looking forward to having a holiday in <laughs> a few weeks' time. Now, well, you really. certainly sound like you deserve it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was working hard. Jeez. I know, I know. Um, I, I would say that 
Oh, I'm very, so glad to hear that. <laughs> Actually, that's a, an interesting point too because um, the Every Series has been released overseas. Did you have to change much for um, overseas markets? No, actually, look, it was accepted overseas by Tundra Books, which is in Canada. And um, I think maybe because, you know, they have a slightly different background, Canadian publishers seemed to be very comfortable with the idea of retaining all the Australianisms, you know. And they kept a lot of, yeah, I know, and they kept a lot of the language that I, I didn't think they would. I, I thought they would ask me to change things. Things, but they actually didn't. They they kept references to the MCG and all of the Melbourne locations. Oh, cool! Um, and they didn't really change any of the vernacular, any of the slang at all. I mean, um, there were a few things we had to change, like we had to change um, songs into flip flops, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. Songs have a very different meaning <laughs> in the states and in Canada than they yeah. do in Australia. And things like you know torches into flashlights and stuff like that. That would actually That's fantastic. I know my overseas friends love our slang. I didn't really realise that torches was... I mean, I understand the thongs and flip-flops. Yeah. But I didn't really know that torches was one. Well, I guess it's like like trunk and boot. Like, like, what do you mean the boot of the car? Like, what? Yeah, Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I mean, and people... I think they just assumed that torches were like like flaming torches. Yeah, like torches and pitchforks. That that makes (laughs) sense. That's right. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I can see that There are so many things like that where I go, hang on, wait, that's Australian? Yeah, like, sidewalk, footpath thing. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I saw another author online recently was saying, what's the difference between bangs and a fringe? Because oh, I saw that out. hole, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there is no difference. So there was, I mean, there's, there's, you know, you do have to um, think a little bit about that sort of stuff sometimes when yeah. you're publishing Because, like, I mean, our family, like, I mean, my family especially, but, I mean, I think this is just generally Aussie, you know. We never say anything. It's just undies. Everything is undies. Whereas everywhere else seems to have a lot more names for varying types of underwear. Yeah. And gendered underwear. Like, everything's just undies. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's so weird. It's one of the few things we don't have a lot of different names for. Yeah. Actually, um, so on, on the topic of, like, rural Australia and stuff like that obviously like you said no limits is really rural and every move was um set in rural Victoria as well and how influential and how important do you think it is to have stories set in rural areas like that and like where you live um well look you know it's kind of like what we were talking about before which is you know it's it's important to see the places that you live reflected in the literature that you read, I think it's mm. I think it's important to be able to find your own landmarks, you mm. know, in the story. Sometimes, I mean, not all the time. I mean, I I, I think it's good to have variety. Yeah. But but being able to occasionally yeah recognise a fish and chip shop or or a location that you know gives something unique to you when you're reading. And um and so I thought you know in every move the action took place mostly in Melbourne and then loca- relocated to the Mallee. And and then so by the time I, I came to write Harris's story, he was already in the Mallee, he was, he was in Orion. And I thought, okay, well, I could bring him back to Melbourne, back to the city. But I, I sort of already thought, well, you know, um, he, he is he's quite, um, a lot of his past and history and, and a lot of his character was developed country area so I was keen to sort of see what would happen um, if I left him there and kind of um, threw him into a situation up there and I mean um, a lot of people don't realise how distinct the Mali environment is and it mm. is it's, it's unique you know it's right on the edge of the desert it's incredibly flat and dry and um, and it's, it's kind of just it's kind of almost a jumping off point into 
um, central parts of Australia and, and that kind of outback desert idea that we have of central Australia. So, um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting landscape and people live in very isolated conditions up there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it lends something to, to the, the action of the story to put it in this place where people are really cut off from each other but, and, but where they congregate in small communities, they, they are very tight-knit, you know, and mm. they, they know all about each other. Everyone lives in each other's pockets because <laughs> everyone knows everyone else's business. You know, that's the way, that's the way um, like, isolated rural towns in Australia are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a really important part of the story. And then I actually went up there and spent some time in Onion and in Mildura. I went up there for research and... Um, because I hadn't been to the Mallee before. And so I went up there to research for every move, but then I went back again to, to research for no limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually a really important part of figuring out the story behind the action in, in, in Harris's life because um, were, I wanted to figure out what... I wanted to write a crime story or, or another crime-related action story. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, what's happening in Mildura? <laughs> yeah. And, and people were saying, well, nothing happens in Mildura. <laughs> you know, apart from the occasional, you know, sheep stealing or something like that. But, you know, <laughs> then I thought, no, come on, there's got to be something. And so exploring a bit further, digging, you know, into it a little bit, I found that there, there is stuff happening in Mildura. But what, if, what it all, you know, all of these um, burglaries or or um, assaults or whatever that were, that were occurring within the community, all of that, you know, started to swirl around and I realised it was all coming back to one central point, which was the issue of, of um, ice in the community. Mm. And so that became the real elephant in the room, which is that, mm. you know, all of, all of these issues came back to, to um, problems with, with um, ice in the community. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm writing a story about drug crime. I feel like this is a, a good time to give a little shout out to my mum's hometown. Well, actually, yeah. she grew up on a farm outside the town of Rainbow, which is in ah. northwest Victoria. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a lovely little town. Um, and she still runs into random people and they start chatting and they find some connection back to Rainbow. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> there you go. It's like seven degrees of separation. Yep, yep. She always finds a connection back to Rainbow. So, yeah, a little shout-out to Rainbow there. I think we're fine. I mean, I, I grew up in country Queensland. Whereabouts so did you grow up, Ellie? I grew up in a little town called Debra, which is mm. near Mount Me, um, uh, which is, I don't know, it's outside of Brisbane. And a lot of that area has been becoming more and more built up and becoming kind yeah. of out of mm. Brisbane now. But I think out that towards Mount Me and Debra, I think that's still quite country. You know, yeah. And then I thought when I was in my 20s, I came into the city and I thought, yes, okay, I'm in the city now. I'm in, in real life. You know, I'm never going to be. But then somehow I seem to have gravitated back to the country as I've gotten older. So, you know, I've been living in rural Victoria now for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. And, it, you know, there's something about living in rural communities that keeps bringing me back. It's, it's being close to, close to, it, um, to the, the environment. And yeah. having having a close knit community, which is really important, and you know, uh, yeah. So I just really love it. I find a lot of inspiration in it. I find uh, the relationships in small towns really fascinating too. So yeah, yeah. there's certainly something to that. Yeah. I put, yeah. So we have a little, well, I made up a little game. I don't know whether Caitlin saw it, but she usually does the game. So I'm going to let her read them out to you. But it is uh, Sherlock Holmes inspired because obviously (laughs) every breath is a a Sherlock Holmes kind of take, um, an Aussie take on Sherlock Holmes. So this is a game of this or that. So just give us like quick answers. Don't think about it. Just. Okay. Okay. But just I'm before, now. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, everyone keeps saying that when we say we're playing games. Anyway, um, just before we do the this or that, what is your favourite Sherlock adaptation apart from your own series? Um, I think my favourite Sherlock adaptation is 
Mary Russell and Sherlock Holmes, written by Laurie Arkin. So actually the first book in that series is called The Beekeeper's Apprentice. And I think that actually captures something about the tone and the voices in the original canon, which I love. And, and she's just... I, I haven't read all the books in that series because there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. but that first book really, really grabbed me. And it felt, it felt less like pastiche and more like, oh yeah, this is a continuation of... <laughs> Convention Yelp in London, and yes, like, but he went through a couple of times. And people were like, "Oh, it's okay. You don't have to lie about it. You can say you love YA." Like, <laughs> so I think that's pretty appropriate. There was yeah. some pretty cool photos that people got with him. It was really awesome. Yeah, yeah, that incredible. Yeah, because they do it as part of London Comic Con, so like they're mm-hmm. all in the same building and stuff anyway. Um, so yeah, he just was like popped upstairs. Yeah. yeah. I want to go. I want to go to Yelp. It looks amazing. I know, right? That does look incredible. I'll get there one day. Yeah, one day. One day we will. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Ellie. Where can people find you and find your books if they want to read them, which they should? Okay. Well, you can find me at my website, which is www.elliemani.com, and that has a lot of information about my books. It's got my blog. It's got links to Love Us Way Book Club. Um, you can check out Love Us Way A Book Club, which is actually hashtag Love Us Way A Book Club <laughs> online on Facebook. And I'm on Facebook under my normal name, Ellie Money, and <laughs> and I'm also on Twitter and on Instagram a lot. So yes, I am on Twitter perhaps more than it's healthy. But okay. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, I think we all are. That's the way it goes. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Thank you so much. Have a great okay. afternoon, evening. Thank you for having me to visit. It was really lovely to talk to you. <laughs> so Thank lovely you. to talk to you too.